Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 162 of the Ski Podcast, and thanks for joining us, listener. Today, we're going to be going around the world of skiing, from Africa to Ukraine via the French Pyrenees. My name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce our guests today, uh, all our first-timers on the show. So to start off with, I'm delighted to welcome one of the UK's most respected ski journalists, the snow hunter himself, uh, Patrick Thorne. Uh, Hi, Patrick. How are you? Hi, Ian. I'm good, thanks. Uh, Whereabouts are you today? I am in, in Inverness. Inverness is calling. Oh, right. Okay. And can you see any snow uh, from where you are in Inverness? Because I heard there's some on the foothills. Yeah, I, I could if there was a window to my left. Unfortunately, there isn't. I'm looking out on the sort of wet bit at the front. But okay, but there yeah, is snow around. snow on the hills behind us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also have uh, Sean Grigg, who is uh, from Pyrenean Holidays. Hi, Sean. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good morning. Tell us whereabouts you are. There's a clue in the name, Pyrenees Odysseys. In the Haute Pyrenees, so High Pyrenees in um, in France, and in Lusensover, I live, which is uh, between Lourdes and Gavani. Any snow out of your window? Yeah, snow out my window. Clouds, sort of uh, hidden by the cloud, but it's definitely up there. It's been going up and down for the last couple of days, but it's definitely there. Yeah. Cool, that's brilliant. And finally, we've got uh, Gem Rose uh, from Powder Mad, uh, a community for skiers exploring the less visited areas of the world. Uh, We're going to be talking about Ukraine a little bit later on, but how are you today, Gem? I'm really good, thanks, Ian, and it's uh, it's great to be on the the podcast. Excellent. Well, um, let's start. I have a traditional question for all of my guests to ask you when you were last on snow. We'll come to you first, Patrick. That was, (coughs) excuse me, um, Val Therens in May. The Grand Dernier. Ah, that, the La Grande Dernier is the end of the, literally the end of the season there, isn't it? We. Oui. <laughs> Sean, what about yourself? You live in a ski resort. When were you last on snow? Uh, end of March, because, uh, well, uh, there's one resort that stays open late around here, but most of the others close at the end of March. So end of March with some friends and my sister's in law. Very nice. Which resort was yep, it? Up in back. Uh, Grand Tourmalet. Yep. Uh, uh, well, I know uh, Grand Tourmalet uh, well. I've skied there a, a few times uh, before. and uh, so, you, But you don't actually live there. So that's like a short drive to get up. And would you access it via Barrage? Is that how you go in? Yeah, access via Barrage. It's about 20 minutes from Luce Sensover, just in the car or on the bus. Um, and then up the other side of Luce Sensover is Luz Den, which uh, people might remember from the Tour de France a couple of years ago. We had a big stage finish at Luz Den. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm, I'm between the two. Okay, great. And Jem, what about yourself? When were you last on snow? Uh, yeah, the same. I was. It was March. Uh, I was in... Um the Swanvetti, uh, which is in Georgia, uh, quite close to the, the Russian border, um, in a 
village called uh, Mestia. We have actually covered uh, Georgia on the podcast before, but it fits in with um, you know what I mentioned before about Powder Mad and some of the areas that you uh, cover. But we'll come back to that uh, in due course. So um, just now, I'd just like to remind listeners that the Ski Podcast is sponsored by Le Travale, which is the largest ski area in the world. And the good news is that after a, a delay of a week, the uh, temperature has dropped, new snow has fallen, and uh, Europe's highest ski resort, Val Terenz, is opening this weekend we are currently recording on friday the 25th of november and i believe they'll be opening tomorrow the resort is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year i will be there in three weeks time but uh, alex Irwin uh, from 150 days of winter regular listeners will know him he will be skiing there this weekend so we've got a bit of a past and future here. He will be skiing at the point of time that we're recording this, but let's have a listen to what he actually said. Hi, Ian. Alex from 150 Days of Winter with a snow report from Valteren. As you probably know, Valteren delayed its special opening for a week, and thankfully since then it's had enough snow to open about 60% of the piece. Everything on the Folly Deuce side was closed, and so was the Rail Valley. It was my first day back after going to their closing weekend last winter, testing out a new pair of goggles from Rydar. The snow quality was good, but as it was also quite busy, piece that were graded blue were catching out unsuspecting skiers later in the day with ice and bumps. People were even skiing piece that was shut, only to find halfway down why they were shut. I'll let you in on the secret not enough snow. Still, so to summarise, the snow was good but not great, but it's a good start to what will probably be a great season. This is Alex signing off and wishing everybody good snow. Uh, in other news, I'm sad to report that uh, Snow Factor, the indoor snow slope in Glasgow, has closed. It looks like it's probably forever. I think that's a, like a combination of COVID and energy prices. Um, Patrick, you're closer than the rest of us to uh, to Glasgow. Do you, do you have any insight in this? Was it any surprise that uh, that has closed? Yeah, sadly not. It's it been rumoured for a couple of years. I think they've been struggling. Obviously, sad news. There's lots of young trainee and competitive skiers and boarders that are going to miss it. We've seen from that generation of freestylers that have come through uh, to the Team GB that a lot of them learned on dry slopes and indeed uh, indoors as well. So, you know, one less venue is definitely uh, regrettable. I don't know, maybe maybe it will come back, but uh, really interested to see how the other snow centres respond this winter because uh, obviously with energy prices going up, it's going to be a big challenge. But um, Patrick, I wanted to come back to you. Uh, one of the reasons I asked you onto the podcast today is I have recently uh, read your book, which I'm going to hold up now for the benefit of the listener. I'm holding it up. For, oh, <laughs> Jem's got a couple of it as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Jem. That's great. Sorry, Excellent. not me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Around the World in 50 Slopes, subtitled The World's Most Amazing Ski Run. And Snow Factor doesn't feature in there, but 50 resorts in, in 27 uh, countries do. Now, I do get sent quite a few books to review, and some of them are quite generic, you know, especially with lists. Uh, but this was, yeah, really, genuinely, completely uh, different. Every slope in the book has a story behind it and some of those stories it ranges from the invention of the chairlift with sun valley if i recall correctly uh, hannibal's yeah. crossing of the alps uh, political issues like the taliban uh, gay rights dictatorships and then the intersection with uh, popular culture as well you've got lord of the rings the beatles james bond it's definitely not 
your usual ski book. So my question uh, for you, or my first question for you, uh, Patrick, is how on earth did you manage to kind of choose just 50 slopes or these 50 slopes? I mean, there's so many slopes in the world. It must have been very, very difficult getting that uh, selection down. Yeah, I could definitely do, you know, a 10-volume version of it. Uh, um, yeah, it's just different stories I've written over the years, and some of them stick in my mind more than others. We, we, I think I got it down to about 100, and then you had to cherry-pick down to the to the 50. And I, if you sort of read it, you'll find I've sort of segued in lots of other slopes into, you know. Into I, have, I honestly have read it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, you told me. Um, in terms of finding the theme behind uh, each story, did you always have that in mind, you know, when you were picking the list of slopes in the first place? It actually started with a brief from the publishers and that they asked me to write it in that way. I started, I, the first draft, there was a lot more sort of practical information about how to get to the run and which list to take. And that was all edited out. Um, so it, it's very much about the stories behind the slopes rather than the sort of practical guide. Yeah, so you know, as a, an example, I guess I mentioned the invention of the chairlift, which was a Sun Valley. If I recall it correctly, it was something to do with adapting a way of moving bananas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so there was a big competition in, in America in the uh, sort of 40s and 50s to open ski resorts and make them more and more attractive. So somebody thought of a, a chairlift. And you mentioned uh, Hannibal's uh, crossing of the Alps in there. I've got a feeling, I can't exactly remember now, was that La Rosier or was that uh, La Tuile? Uh, well, one to the other, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I've, I've heard that story before, but it's interesting how many tour operators uh, claim that uh, elephants have, uh, have kind of crossed those peaks, you know, many years uh, ago, because they're not yeah. the only ones, are there? I think maybe at the end of the uh, Morien Valley, going through yeah, yeah. maybe Valsenie to Italy or something. I think they they went that way as well. Yeah, I've yeah, actually found the, the elephant's tusk in the snow, so that, that's the one that clinched it for me. Do you, do you think they really did do that, or is that just a good bit of PR? <laughs> it, it, it was on April the 1st I found it. That was the only sort of thing that went against <laughs> it. But... Okay. That is a... Great photo, though. Excellent. And, you know, obviously Lord of the Rings, I mean, people will probably guess that is related to uh, New Zealand you know, and Bond. There's so many different uh, resorts that have featured uh, Bond, but I think there's only one ski resort that uh, the Beatles were connected to. Was it Obertown? Yeah, they filmed um, Help there, the snow scenes from Help. I had to get the film and watch it again, and they're, they're really good. Amazing, amazing scenes. Now you've got YouTube, there's lots of um, bits of film of, the, of it being put together and all the sort of fans going crazy outside. So. I think that was, you know, in terms of the, uh, the the insight there, must have been very difficult for them to actually film in the resort at the time. Uh, apparently not. They, they were going to, I can't remember the name, they were going to go to a better known resort. And at the time, Oberturm was, was just not known at all. So they descended on this village and nobody had heard of the Beatles there. Rushed down to Innsbruck to get a cassette tape of the music so they knew who they were. And I think they had a fantastic time just because they were away from the, the limelight and could really have fun. And so how long did the book take altogether to put together? Uh, three months writing. It, was, it started it in summer of last year. It was finished in uh, January this year. Production. I'm, a, I'm amazed that you managed to do it uh, uh, that quickly. There's obviously a theme different themes for each so basically you pick a pick a slope and then give the story behind it but it's much uh, broader Jem, you've got the book there uh, uh, have you read it 
I, I haven't read it all, <laughs> I, I've got to admit, but I uh, had, a, had a flick through. Um, I got it actually a couple of days ago because I knew that uh, Patrick was going to be on the podcast. So I thought, oh, this looks really interesting. So, yeah, I picked it up. And the, the first uh, bit I went to actually was um, the uh, story about uh, Mount uh, Elbrus, which, you know, I, I spending time in the Swan Betty last year. It's very close to uh, the Russian border and, and uh, right. that amazing mountain, which is... Uh, uh, across the way and it's interesting to learn that you know that's the sky the highest um, ski lift in in the world with the the um the cat ski that takes them up a little bit further so i think yeah. it's about four thousand meters isn't it which is, it was amazing yeah it's interesting you know although as you say a lot of the statistical detail uh, you know it hasn't hasn't been dwelled on it's much more about the stories around these different resorts there are different claims like the highest lift is evidently you know something that is debatable and the i found myself you know calling up uh, google maps when um, i was reading about the sierra nevada and it says oh it's the most southerly ski resort in europe and i was look, trying to level it up with greece and see what happened in greece but it's all to do with you know everywhere can can make a claim it depends a lot on definitions sometimes doesn't it patrick yeah yeah i like the um most northerly which was um the north cape of norway because I'd, I'd always thought it was riksgransen but there's there's lots of sort of well lots about a dozen smaller areas further north north cape is the one that i decided was the most northerly but then i found there's actually a, about a 50 meter long drag lift for kids on svalbard which is <laughs> whether anyone would actually go to Svalbard to re- ride this 50 meter lift. Now. Yeah, probably not. Although we did actually feature Svalbard uh, on the podcast uh, ages ago, but that was, you know, yeah, great for touring. Going, yeah. Yeah. Out onto the piste and, and watching out, if I recall it correctly, I'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, they had a, a special lookout for uh, polar bears, you know, during the, yeah. the course of their uh, time there. There is a, a climate change theme throughout the book, uh, Patrick. Is that, I know that's uh, something that's, kind of important to you was it kind of inevitable that that was going to end up being part of the story yeah i've, I've followed ski resorts for 40 years and i've sort of seen it with my own eyes i think the valley blanche is the, the most obvious example yeah um, actually that was a page i turned to first when i picked up the book because what i quite like about it is that you know you can j- jump in anywhere you want to you know gem turned to uh elbrus in russia you know i turned to the valley blanche uh because you know, I first went on it when I was something like 13 years old and, uh, you know, revisiting it now. There's a massive walk back up while a cable car lifter back up from the glacier itself, whereas at that time it was literally a few steps. And uh, yeah. sadly, that is an example of it. But anyway, in relation to the book, I, I recommend it. I suspect that Jim uh, recommends it, although he might Absolutely. need to read a little bit more. <laughs> it is around, around the World in 50 Slopes. I'll put a link into the uh, show notes. And uh, as I said, it's not your typical ski book. It's just a list of things. You know, anyone who has a genuine interest in skiing and or the mountains will find it really interesting. So uh, congratulations, Patrick, on producing it. Thanks, Ian. Uh, now, Jem, I'm going to turn to you. Ukraine is not a country that features in the book. The reason I wanted to have you on the, on the podcast, Jem, is I think we bumped into each other at the uh, Birmingham uh, show, and you mentioned to me that you were actually skiing. You've skied in Ukraine, um, you know, it, ridiculously recently. And in fact, you were there at the time that Russia invaded. And I guess my yeah. first question was, like, why were you there? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I suppose during uh, during lockdown, we'd kind of planned a, a trip to Ukraine. I, 
got some um, some Danish friends who had um, uh, visited uh, Ukraine and um, found um, a resort called uh, Dragobrat, which is uh, like the free ride mecca uh, of uh, of Ukraine. So, um, as one of our trips, we decided to put it together, and it's a cat skiing trip. Uh, yeah, so when um, we we did know about the um, uh, the the build up, the, the Russian build up. Uh, but we decided to um, do the trip uh, anyway. I mean, at, at the time, it was considered to be a uh, more of a training exercise, um, and the view really was that it it was um, Russia and uh, this, uh, and America sort of saber rattling at each other. Um, there was no travel ban to uh, Ukraine, and in fact, at the time, we were more worried about COVID. In fact, than, than, than okay. anything else, uh, and certainly didn't expect there to be a, a war in in Europe. So, yeah, we we organised five weeks of um, uh, of cat skiing in uh, in Dragobrat, um, of which uh, we almost completed them all, um, and we had a super super time. We flew into um, Lviv, uh, which is in the in the west. And, and sorry, just to interrupt you. So you were there for five weeks. Does that mean you, you had different uh, sets of clients coming out or is this your own personal trip? No, we had clients uh, coming out with us uh, through through Powder Mad. So they, each trip was a week long um, and we had a, a maximum of 12, um, which is the, the max you can get on a, on a cat ski. Um, so, yeah, they all all flew into Labib and from Labib uh, we took a, uh, it's about a five hour journey um up to the bottom of the valley of dragobrat um but there are no made roads to get up to dragobrat itself so you have to transit into a, a military four by four vehicle to get up to the the last section right um and uh we skied some of the most incredible powder that any of us had really ever skied it was it was phenomenal it started snowing when we arrived and it continued to snow and snow and snow and snow um the powder was really very light as well it was an absolutely superb time had you skied in um ukraine before no i'd been to ukraine i went uh previously in 2015 which was um just after actually the the russians had uh annexed um crimea um but my second time going back was quite different i mean in Lviv itself it was it was bustling um, very busy, lots of bars, lots of cafes, ice skating rings, lots of people being happy, kind of mirroring any other sort of European city uh, that you, you that you may visit. Um, you know, people were very happy, very much on the up and up, uh, very proud of being Ukrainian. Um, um, and then obviously, sadly, the the, um, the invasion came and, and, and it's kind of destroyed that. You were out there. How far into that five week uh, spell were you then? I, well, we we had uh, five different uh, sets of guests, um, and I left um, about three weeks in and um, had to go to Georgia because we had other guests going to Georgia as well. Um, and my 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 um, uh, Danish friend Morton, and we had a German guy Lud- Ludger, and we ha- used a local fixer and uh, guide called Helena, who was U- Ukrainian, uh, remained there uh, in the final week. Um, and the final week, um, the invasion occurred, and we previously spoke about, you know, if anything was to happen, we never expected anything to happen because the 
the feeling was if something was to happen, it would be over in the in the Donbass region, in the Luhansk and the Donetsk area. And we were about a thousand miles uh, by road away from there on towards the Romanian border. So we did kind of have a plan B, but we never, ever expected to have to use that, um, which was to minibus to the Romanian border uh, and then um, uh, get a train to um, uh, uh, Hungary, to Budapest. So that did occur um, and uh, everybody got out uh, safely in the end. Gosh. Okay. So, you know, what a a trip for everybody uh, concerned, starting off with, uh, you know, the type of snow that you're talking about. And I wonder if I'd just come come back to that. You said it was a cat skiing a trip. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what kind of a, a accommodation were you staying in? You, you could only get there on dirt roads going by four by four. So is it a hotel or is it a property specifically for the cat skiing guests? Uh, yeah, it, it was a hotel. Um, it's a local hotel. I mean, Dragon Bar is a, is a resort. In, in it, it's, well, it's sort of a resort anyway. There are lifts there. Uh, but each of the, there's no sort of central lift company or anything like that. So if you want to use the lifts, you have to pay the, the, the owner of the lift to, yeah. to use it. Um, and I think at the time it, uh, it was about 40 grievna to have 10, you know, 10 tickets on a ski lift. Um, and it's about 35 grievna, grievna to the pound. So it was very cheap if you wanted to do it that way. But, from yeah, we stayed in the hotel and we cat skied. Uh, we had a short walk actually to the cat ski to the snow cat, and then we went on from there and uh, uh, skied different um, different areas and different zones. And what kind of altitude are we talking about here? Where you're staying and going up to? Um, not 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 particularly high. Um, we were maximum you're skiing at is about seventeen hundred meters. Um, I think due to climate change, we, 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 we all think about, you know, the higher the resorts, the, the, the better. But Ukraine gets incredibly cold in the winter. Um, and many years ago, it, it would plummet down to sort of minus 30. Now, it, uh, when we were there, it was around about minus 15, minus 16. Um, so it's very, very cold. And the, precip- the precipitation builds up um, on the, the Black Sea. And when it hits the Carpathians, it really, really does dump. So... Uh, you get fabulous, fabulous snow that stays. Um, so the altitude is not particularly high. Uh, your, your, the vert that you might do on one, one um, cat ski uh, trip would be 300 to 500 meters, something like that. Um, and you do about 11 runs per day. Cool, through light, fresh powder. Yes, <laughs> in, uh, in uh, you know, in a completely different uh, culture. And I mean, you mentioned the, you know, the the, the locals. Uh, are you in contact with uh, any of them, your fixers? Uh, you know, how are they getting on? Yeah, I mean, Helena, uh, she's U- Ukrainian. She's from Kiev. Um, she returned to Kiev and she joined the medical volunteers, medical corps, um, and uh, went out to the front line, actually, in, um, in, uh, in the east. Yes, we're in touch. Um, and yes, you know, if the times are tough. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've referred to, I think before on this podcast, there might be some presentations I've done, but the balance between like typically, you know, I am trying to, you know, fly less, but sometimes there's a lot of value in actually flying somewhere because of the benefits that you're giving to that local economy. 
Uh, and I think in these kind of uh, uh, circumstances, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask you to kind of make your geopolitical predictions for the future, but uh, one hopes that there will be a point where you'll be able to travel there and take groups there uh, again. Um, I'm guessing you're anticipating that will happen at, at some point. Uh, yeah, I mean, we want to return. Yeah, we do. Um, um, you know, we wish the best for for Ukraine and we hope that Ukraine will be, you know, um, will return back to its uh, former self. And yes, we'd go back. We made a load of friends there and we drank a lot of vodka with a lot of them as well. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, we skied some great stuff and it is a super place to go skiing that not many people know of. Yeah. And in, in the meantime, you mentioned that, you know, you had traveled off to uh, Georgia in terms of your, your business. This is what you do. You offer the less common accessible places as destinations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I sort of skied all my, all my life and I've done, done my time in, in the Alps and uh, a little bit in the Pyrenees, um, down in, in um, New Zealand and in the States. Um, and I, I got sort of more interested in going to um the the more bizarre locations um and it's really really interesting to go to these places because um it's like sort of returning back to the 1920s and 1930s when you've got the start of a a, a resort and and that's exciting i mean you know i i read in in patrick's book for instance when you you know when you're going back in time and the beginning of chairlifts etc cetera, etc cetera, that's it's a really interesting time and you can sort of recreate that by going to these locations um, I mean, Mestier in, in Georgia is uh, very similar, I would imagine, to Chamonix in, in, the, in the 20s. You know, so uh, I find that quite exciting. Um, uh, this year we're doing um, North Macedonia. Uh, we're going to go cat skiing there as well. We're going to return back to, um, uh, to Georgia as well. Um, and then I've got um, a few, few trips that I'm going to sort of check out a few places um one in um, a heli ski operation in Romania um and then I'm going to go and have a look at some areas of, of Kosovo as well that that sounds uh, fascinating i was on a panel uh with uh, Rook from uh, Ski Albania yeah i know uh, at the Birmingham yeah. uh, show and Kosovo is obviously very near to uh, there so if uh, if you have that type of access to uh, unskied uh, territory, that could be really interesting. And you mentioned to me in the green room as well that you are doing a bit of work for some fundraising for your Ukrainian friends. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we're working with a um, a, a charity called uh, War Child, um, which uh, is there to support um, uh, children that are affected by. But in, in any conflict zone, actually, but um, they are also in 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 Ukraine too. Um, so what we've done is we've um, had a um, a ski sock designed by um, uh, by a chap um, called Paul Kettle, who is a third generation uh, master sock maker, uh, and we are donating a share of the profits to to War Child to. Uh, help uh, help ukrainians this this winter obviously uh, recently you know a lot of the infrastructure has been has, has been taken out in in ukraine um winters are severely harsh there they need a lot of support um you know they need heat they need warmth 
Yeah, so it's important. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I will definitely put a link to that into the uh, into the show notes, and that's that's really good to hear, and really interesting just to hear that uh, the whole of that story. Um, I know it has been um, covered in Full Line magazine, uh, I believe. I'm not sure if it's available uh, online anywhere. Is it? Uh, that... yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if you go, it, it's available on my website, right. <laughs> which is powdermad.com. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Full Line uh, magazine have also run a, um, an article on it as well. Okay. Well, I'll put a link into the uh, into the show notes uh, about that, and that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ian. Thanks. Sean, let's let's go, come to you. We're moving around uh, uh, the world now, back into the uh, Pyrenees. One of the reasons I want to ask you onto the show is uh, I can't exactly remember how it cropped up now, but we swapped a few emails about train travel uh, to the Pyrenees, which is something and I'm very interested in the train travel side of things. And there aren't actually many places that you can take those overnight trains from Paris. There used to be loads of them. You know, I took certainly took them back in the day from uh, Paris uh, down to Bourg Saint Maurice or, or Moutier. But currently, I think there's only two routes, and one is the one to Briançon, where you can uh, then go on to say, Chevalier and and Cestrier, other resorts in that area. But there's also a an overnight train that goes down to Lourdes, and that is something that you've been promoting in, in recent years. Uh, I think is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And to be honest, before it, I mean, it only stopped. We used to have a, a night train. Uh, came Paris to Lourdes via Bordeaux, which was called uh, La Pol- Palombe Bleu, which had a very romantic name. Um, and they stopped that. I actually can't quite remember when they stopped it, but I'm sort of thinking 2000, not actually very long ago, maybe 2017, 2018. And then ever since then, I've sort of been, well, I was outraged. And uh, so then, you know, wrote to everybody under the sun saying, what is this terrible silly idea and finally they have put it back because it was a night ta- a night train that goes to the via Toulouse and they both go to the Spanish border one on the coast and one just near Andorra I don't know if you know La Tour de Carol anyway it links up with a uh, train that comes uh, from Spain um, and so they've added another link onto that um, so basically a night train goes via Toulouse and comes through to Lord which is great you know it's just a really wonderful service Good to yeah have and and from your point of view uh being based in uh i hope i've got my pronunciation correct uh loose sense of close enough sense of her yeah all right yep. there we go uh <laughs> that is roughly an hour from Lord. Ha- half an hour yeah half an hour an on hour, the bus half an hour in the yeah it's 30 kilometers so I, close. Okay, so therefore it's very so the logistics wise from that uh, uh, train then it's leaving Paris. Uh, uh, it, yeah, about leave- nine, uh, about nine. Yeah, nine, kind of nine fifteen, something like that. Sometimes yeah. depends, but about nine fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, taking a route via. Did you say Toulouse? Toulouse. Yeah, it goes. So you get into Toulouse about six a.m. Um, and then all being well, you don't notice. You know. The train splits in three and then goes off in its all three directions. Yep. Right. I mean, that type of thing is actually good because uh, you don't you don't want to get to your, your destination too early. For example, when I've taken the train overnight to the Tarantes, if you're getting off in Moutier, 
then you're actually getting there too early because sometimes, you know, the, the, the world hasn't woken up yet. If you stay on until yeah. Bourg Saint-Maurice, you know, an extra hour or so later, it, it's much better. So you're going to get into Lourdes at around uh, 9 a.m., then you're saying relatively uh, short transfer from there. And so that's something you've yeah. been promoting in terms of your, your business there at Pyrenean Odysseys. And I, I noticed, I was interested to see that you've been offering offsetting since, I think, 2015. And then it's yes. really been an opt-out since 2018. So you've, you've effectively included offsetting within the cost of the holiday. Is that right? Um, not entirely. I, I guess because we're a small operation, I can. Because the trouble with including it is, I mean, including it as a sort of blanket cost in just that would be easy to do. But you might have some client from Australia and you've got some client from the UK. And clearly it's not really fair or very informative, I don't think, for the client that the person from the UK pays the same offset as the person from Australia, you know. Uh, so what I tend to do because I'm, a, um, you know, I'm trying to make it make people be a bit aware of the cost, I guess. So for like lots of things in a in a package holiday, you sort of put it all in together so that to some extent people are not really sure what they're paying for and that's part of the thing. Whereas this, I really wanted to pull it out and say this is what your offset is, especially if you're coming from kind of a long uh, a long way away. So I know where everyone's um, coming from and so I will add it into their bill, but like I will just say this is your holiday, this is your offset, you're coming from here, it's this many tonnes of carbon if you want to offset it with us, this is what it will cost you. You've also got these options, you know, make them look around a little bit at uh, something closer to home for them. Um, I sort of uh, use it as a bit of an educational exercise as well as I think that's really good because, um, you know, if a listener, you may have uh, listened to episode 160, which is a sustainability special. And what we talk, one of the things we're talking about there is actually educating the consumer the traveler to understand what the carbon cost is in different circumstances and evidently you're making that very clear up front and you know they don't have to uh, take that you're saying that they can opt out if they want to but the educational side of things is really important and being able to promote the train uh, you know is important as well and, and just to be a bit more specific then in relation to you know lose uh, Saint-Sauveur where, you know, where are you? What skiing does that offer from where you are? We are, yeah, 10 kilometres up the road from uh, Grand Tourmalet, the foot of the Grand Tourmalet Resort, which is the largest in the French Pyrenees. So, I mean, you know, everyone's like largest in the, obviously that doesn't count Andorra all linked together and any of the Spanish resorts, but that's kind of it. So it's the biggest resort in our area. And then on the other side, 13 kilometres up the road, Luzardiden, which people probably know more from the Tour de France than they do actually as a ski area. Um, about 25 kilometres up towards Gavani, there's a small ski area called Gavani Gedra, uh, which is uh, cold, <laughs> to be honest. So it's quite good to have the, have the, I mean, the great thing about staying in Luce is you, you, you wake up in the morning, you look at the conditions, you think where might be the best place to ski today, you know, which way is the wind going, where did it snow last night or not, um, you know, and then you can kind of decide on the day 
Well, I mean, I um, have skied in Grand Tourmalet on several occasions. And as you say, it's a, a decent sized uh, ski area. I think off the top of my head, it might have like 100 kilometers a piece or something like that. Yeah. So combination yeah. of Barège and La Mongie. Yeah. And La Mongie yes. is maybe 18, 1800 meters, a bit higher. But you've also got the Peak de Midi there, which is uh, fantastic. Yeah. And I recommend to you, listener, if you've never been to the Peak de, de Midi, uh, to do that. It's a very high cable car, which will take you to what I believe is going to be the, certainly the highest observatory in France, maybe the highest observatory uh, in Europe. And there are lots of educational tours that you can do up there. But uh, it's uh, akin to the Agui de Midi. It's uh, 282877. 28, there you go. But I did stay the night there um, a few years back. And so, uh, you know, I haven't often slept that high. I think I slept that high when I was in Nepal, uh, you know, years back. But uh, pretty hard when you're trying to get to sleep at near to 3,000 uh, uh, meters. Uh, but it was brilliant up there. And obviously, um, one of the things that they offer up there is uh, stargazing because you get this. There is an observatory there, an incredible view of the stars at night, if you're lucky enough uh, uh, with the weather. So, yeah, all of that uh, uh, there. And I think, you know, we touch on the, you know, the Pyrenees, uh, you know, unlike perhaps many British people, I've been there lots of times before. What I particularly like about it is, uh, don't want this to come the wrong way, but you don't hear that many British voices there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially not in our valley, I don't think. I think possibly San Larry, you know, a few more. Um, there's, yeah, our, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons for that. You know, local authorities haven't kind of really decided that the British market is perhaps for them. Uh, it's a very regionally based uh, market. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know, to be honest. Not such great sometimes a bit more complicated logistics sometimes there's just not a you know a kind of straight line to everything I think that's possibly why yeah for sure but uh, you know it's not it's, it's never been as popular uh, with the UK market although it represents tremendous value for money I mean I, I went there huh. with my kids uh, during half term a few years ago to basically establish it you could do it and I think we did the whole trip for two thousand pounds for a family of four and we didn't ski a whole week i think we only skied for four days we did one day in Corsere, two days in grand tourmalet and then one of the days we took the day off skiing entirely and went up to the um pont de span uh, national park oh yes and went yep. hike yep. for yep. a for a, a, a hike a guided hike up there which was absolutely yep. Yep. Uh, tremendous you know really interesting I, what i liked about that was to try and show to uh, you know my kids that ski resorts are more than just the lifts and everything like that you're in the mountains you know you can enjoy all of this as well on a, on a holiday and the pyrenees also are packed full of um, you know natural spas i imagine you probably have uh, some near you somewhere yeah. Yes, absolutely. There's some in Luce, uh over in Sensorver. That's what the Sensorver bit is, to be honest. That's the thermal bath uh, area. Uh, Barrage has a thermal baths. Argelès has thermal baths. Courtre has thermal baths. They're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. it's a nice, nice combo. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. Okay, uh, Sean, that, that's brilliant. Thanks for uh, giving us an update on that. And uh, I'll put a few links into the show notes uh, with a link to Pyrenean Odysseys and also to that uh, mm. train. Uh, and uh, if things have gone well, I've just written an article for the uh, Independent about train travel. And I'm talking about that uh, Lord 
uh, link in the uh, train in there as well. So you'll be able to track that down somewhere. I'd just like to drop in at this point an interview I did uh, relatively recently with James Gambrell, who is a uh, general manager of the uh, ski club. You recall, a uh, long time listeners will recall, he's been on the uh, uh, podcast several times before. Uh, but I wanted to talk to him about... Uh, the year that has passed since he took over as general manager at the ski club. Uh, you know, I spoke to him back in episode 75 when he'd just taken over. So let's have a listen to uh, hear how that first year has gone. Um, I'd also like to ask you about your role you know, in the ski club of Great Britain, because you've you know, been there just over uh, a year now. Uh, you know, it uh, is a, a role that carries quite a few challenges, but I know you've made quite a lot of progress in the last year. I wondered if you'd like to sort of I don't know, tell, summarise what you see as the main achievements in that year one. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it, 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 is a, it is a role with challenges. And of course, starting last year and then heading into last season, there were considerably more challenges as, yeah. uh, as, as countries closed and travel bans came in and, uh, and COVID sadly kind of got a grip on us again. But um, we had a very successful year uh, in the end. So, you know, firstly, we managed to run all of the program that the ski club runs. So we run our fast tracks holidays program. We sold out of that, of that program. It wasn't reduced for the COVID year, but we sold out holidays, actually added another holiday to team at the end of the season. So that was successful. Um, our reps program, which goes currently across 19 resorts. And um, we managed to get that up and running in all resorts. Again, we had some challenges with, you know, being able to get reps out with travel bans and obviously some people dropping yeah. out because of COVID related factors, but we got reps into resorts and actually had um, one of our, our highest years ever in terms of members, um, meeting up with the reps and going skiing together. So, yeah, so that was very successful. Um, we returned our magazine from being an, a, an online magazine to being a full A4 printed magazine. So we printed four copies last year. We were going to print three. We ended up printing four because the demand was there. So it was great to see the magazine kind of come back. And um, our membership increased. We obviously lost some members over COVID, and um, particularly our platinum membership, which includes annual travel insurance. Of course, during COVID, why would you have an annual travel insurance <laughs> yeah. policy? Um, but that's come back really strongly. So thousands of new members joining with that travel in- inclusive product. So that worked very well. Um, and, uh, you know, it's no secret that the ski club had some some difficult financial years uh, preceding COVID. We made a lot of changes in the way that the club is structured. We moved offices into a, a smaller, more affordable office. And, um, you know, like every organisation, we're a mixed team now. So we've got some, you know, hybrid working, some people working remotely. So we cut some of the structural costs of the club. Um, and we ended up with a with a profitable year last year. We are a not for profit organisation, so that money can be reinvested back into the club. So yeah, it was a it was a very tough year, um, but we came out of it in a good place. Excellent. And and moving on to next season, then I think you mentioned to me when we were chatting before that you're planning to introduce more reps as well. Because mm. I mean, if last year the take up was uh, was really good, yep. then evidently there is a demand for that. So you're looking to put more reps out in we the are, resorts? We are. So the reps programme is, you know, we're, a, we're a, a member of the club who's been through our reps course is based in resort normally for, for three weeks at a time. And they're a, they're a focal point for members. So members can arrive in the resort, they can go and find the rep. The rep is a you know wealth of information about what to do in resort. They can help them, you know, with, with bookings, they can help them find a mountain guide or a ski instructor. They also help members find each other to go skiing. The rep will sometimes go skiing with a group or the groups go off skiing together. Um, and of course, as there's less and less reps in resort from tour operators, then then I think the value of the rep is becoming uh, you know increasingly significant for members. Because if you travel with a tour operator, but you're a member of the club, you can still meet the rep. We're in 19 resorts at the moment. We have been in 45 historically. We are planning to get back to 45 in the next three years. Um, but in the next 12 months, we're planning to add probably somewhere in the region of seven to eight resorts. And so we're speaking to resorts at the moment. I've been having lots of 
positive conversations here at Listex and over the last kind of few weeks with the resort. So we're now finalising that. And I would say probably by sort of end of October, we'll be able to start releasing um, the new resorts. That we're Great. To, that, so. Well, that's really exciting. I certainly remember, you know, over the years when I was younger, we actually used to meet up with the ski club of Great Britain yeah. when I was on holiday, you know, with my mum and my brother when we were kids and go and ski with them. So, and I think it clearly evidently means a, a lot. I think a lot of the British skier market do enjoy that sort of thing as someone who worked as a ski guide myself you know once upon a time i know that guests you know love to go out with someone who knows the area and without going into all of the the legal aspects for why the ski yeah. guiding side of things stop the fact the ski club of great britain is able to still provide reps is a really good thing um, I think I'm right in saying the you know the ski club of Great Britain, one of the oldest uh, ski clubs around, was founded in 1903. So by my calculations, that means there's a big anniversary uh, coming up at some point. There is, there is a big anniversary. Yeah, so May the sixth, 1903, the club was founded uh, in the Cafe Royale in London. Um, I think we've we've still got the original. We've still got the original notebook where the, the the kind of articles of the club were scribbled by the founder members. We've still got that as a as a document in the club's library. So yeah, next year we're 120 years old, which which always gets a reaction from anyone that we yeah. speak to. Um, so we are planning to obviously mark that anniversary as well. We've got lots of uh, lots of work going on at the moment to kind of you know look at the ways that we can mark it. We'll mark it with an event, but we'll also mark it kind of across the year with everything we do. You know, at ski shows and obviously in resort. Um, you know, to celebrate the fact that we've been going for 120 years, and and it's great that we will be going into our our 120th anniversary with the club on a you know in a stable platform, expanding membership, expanding member services with the reps, and um, you know we're expanding things like our partnerships program where we work with tour operators and retailers. And again, I think that that you know at the moment, as we talked about earlier with the with the survey, you know skiers, UK skiers are gonna ski next year. The outlook is positive. But they are looking for ways to save money. And obviously, one of the great things about the club is with all the partnerships, you can save a lot of money. So, you know, we're looking to really improve the uh, the offering that we have here and, and there for members and, and, and enhance that saving. So, you know, we're all about helping people go skiing. Cool. Great. Well, I look forward to finding out what the, uh, the new resorts are and uh, finding out what your celebrations are going to be for uh, the 120th uh, anniversary uh, as well. And, uh, you know, maybe we can have a chat in a year's time Absolutely. and tell us how it went. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks Lovely. a lot, James. Thanks, Ian. So that was really interesting. Ski Club have got, um, you know, a lot more reps uh, out in resort this winter than they had uh, previously. And there are definitely plans for more of them to come uh, as well. And, you know, he makes a good case for uh, membership uh, there as well. So uh, we'll see how that progresses. Right, we're coming to the close now. Uh, I enjoy all feedback about the show. Uh, please do contact me on uh, social, uh, at the Ski Podcast, or by email, theskipodcast at gmail.com. I've got a few uh, bits of uh, feedback from different people. We had a couple of people send in uh, comments. Uh, Richard Salden said, enjoy the podcast and the wide range of topics and opinions. Andy Thane said, keep up the good work. And Sean Lally said, love the pod. Now, Sean also asked a question about swapping rental skis during the week. So I recently caught up with Chris Moran from Intersport Ski Hire, who uh, gave us a bit of background about that. Great. I'm joined by Chris Moran from uh, Intersport Ski Hire. Now, Chris, one of our listeners uh, asked about, uh, you know, how easy or not is it to change your skis during the course of the week if you've uh, hired? And I thought, well, who better to ask than yourself? So I wondered if you could kind of give us an update on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the way it works is if you, um, you know, you, you you hire the skis on like a, a, a grade system. So you, the cheapest ones are blue graded, like the, you know, beginner piece. The most expensive are the blacks and the gold. Um, 
go back to a gold category. If you hired the gold skis, then you can take any ski in the shop. So you can walk in and say, I want those really amazing racing skis if it's icy. But if it snows, take out the, you know, the black crows or whatever powder skis. And we don't really say that there's a limit on how many times you can change because generally people don't change. So, you know, um, if, if, this, if the people in the shop have time to do it, then it'll just take 30 seconds for them to swap over your, you know, on the bindings, you can, it, it takes literally seconds for them to, to move it. And maybe they'll have to change the din, but, you know, not a huge amount of time. And then you can just uh, be on your way. So it would only be a problem if it was like, the Saturday morning that you wanted to do a ski test, you know, or the busy periods, but on a Monday afternoon or Tuesday, whatever. Right. No problem. Okay. And and typically that's going to happen if you've, if you've gone for the gold option, like if you're going for one of those lower options, there probably just isn't that range of skis there. Well, there is always, I mean, there's, so even in the blue package, there's like a blue carving, there's blue uh, freestyle in the team package. We've got um, like teen race, teen freestyle. So the race ones are really good, you know, car- carving skis essentially. And the freestyle ones are twin tip skis, but it just means if you if you take the gold package, literally every ski in the shop is open to you. But every ski in the shop is open to you anyway because what you can do is, let's say you've hired the the blue range, but you want the what essentially is the gold package. There'll just be an upgrade fee, and it could be you know it could be three or four euros for the day. I mean, it's not going to be a huge amount of money. I think when we worked it out, the average was about eight or nine euros per day anyway. So it's not, you know, we're not talking about huge amounts of, of money here. And the shop is more than happy to upgrade. Right. Them okay, and great. And what about if you wanted to change, you know, uh, across, uh, I don't know what the term is, uh, like a uh, category from Alpine skis to cross-country skis, for example, or, to, or touring skis? Yeah, again, same. Um, just, uh, just go to the shop because... We have obligatory packages that all the shops have, which is, you know, essentially the, the blue, red, black, gold. But outside of that, lots of the shops. So in Chamonix, you'll see lots of backcountry skis. You'll see, tor- you know, randonnée skis, which some of them are, are great for going downhill. Some of them are great for the light for going uphill. Um, really depends what you've got in the shop. Um, but yeah, the, the shops are always happy to upgrade or swap. I mean, you know, lots of people go snowboarding for the day. That's that's a really popular thing. So you get a group, they all want to come in, they all swap for a snowboard for the day, and they go out. Often that's completely free. Cool. Okay, that's brilliant, Chris. Thanks very much for explaining that to us. And no look worries. forward to having you back on the show again at some other point. Thanks, Ian. Uh, there are over 160 episodes of the Ski Podcast to catch up with. Uh, amazingly, 127 of them we listened to in the last week. And I think that's probably new <laughs> listeners catching up. I'd love to hear where you listen to the podcast. It might be commuting, uh, in the gym or at work. Uh, Andrea Dalton sent in a message saying, I'll be having a listen on my dog walk in the morning. So uh, hopefully uh, you'll be listening to this on Tuesday morning, I guess, uh, Andrea. Now, if you enjoy the show, why not review us? It helps other people find us. Uh, Apple Podcasts is the best way to do that. Uh, And if you leave a comment as well, we'll read it out on the next episode. But for now, uh, you can follow me at Skipedia, the podcast at the Ski Podcast. I'd like to thank Les Trois Valets for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today. Patrick, thanks very much. Always good to see you. Uh, Jem, thank you. Thank you. And Sean, thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.